Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmonies of liberty Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies let it resound loud as a rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the presence has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Welcome to the Nine Points Podcast. I'm your host, BH. We at the Nine Points Podcast receive our inspiration from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This scripture speaks to the nine fruits of the Spirit of God and is read as follows. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We at the Nine Points Podcast try to promote these principles out of obedience to God as a way to raise, sustain, and celebrate our unique families. Thank you again for joining us for this particular podcast. Today, we're going to have three segments. In the first segment, I'm going to talk about a recurrent topic, um, pride. The second segment is going to be Z time, and we're going to talk to them about uh, imperfect, imperfect. Um, that's go- I think that's going to be really, really cool. And in the third segment, um, I plan on working with my wife. It'll be a collaboration. We're going to talk about uh, the differences between joy and happiness. So I'm just going to jump right into it. I've prayed um, and I've honestly, I've had a lot of thoughts this week and I would take some notes and I'm like, okay, I definitely want to talk about this. And then um, after I slept and uh, prayed some more, I'd say, well, you know, I really want to talk about this. I really want to share this. This is important. So um, I prayed literally right before uh, I grabbed this microphone to start here. And I'm hoping that uh, the things that the things that we talk about come out in a way that makes sense. And it doesn't seem, um, you know, out out of uh, out of character or don't seem disjointed or something. Um, If it is, that's my fault. Um, It's my fault for not doing more with what God gave me. Um, but I hope that you'll be blessed with this. So segment one, and these are the notes that, uh, that I'll share with you about segment one, talking about this recurrent situation called pride. Um, I've, you know, said it before. I think pride is the greatest enemy of mankind. And it's something that we always have to deal with. It doesn't matter if we've been saved or not. We still have to deal with pride and it's something that uh, that leads to sin. And the Bible says that it's sin that separates us from God. I really think that pride is um, extremely, 
um, dangerous and toxic for us. So I want to talk a little bit about that in this segment and use a little uh, analogies and metaphors here. Dealing with pride is a lot like waking up each day in a body of seawater. It's toxic and will take your life if you don't learn how to tread above it and move towards safety. That's some of the imagery that I think about when I start to wonder why something I'm experiencing has to be that way. Why is this always happening? Why doesn't this ever seem to get better, no matter how much I try? What do I or this other person do to deserve all of this bad stuff? Then I come back to everybody that you know woke up to today to this same reality that you did. You woke up in seawater, surrounded by predators, some of which you can see on the surface, some of them are up under the water so you can't even see them. And then you're in that seawater with desperate people splashing around you trying to do anything to get out of that same seawater. So what else should you expect in a situation like that? If I look carefully enough in that situation, and remember, just remember the, you know, this situation. Imagine you wake up and you're in the middle of seawater and the land is far off. So this whole segment, just picture that you're in the middle of seawater and you look around. And if you look carefully enough, you might find a life jacket or something, some kind of floating debris that I could hold on to so that I don't have to spend as much energy just to keep breathing. You know, in life, so much energy is put into just trying to stay alive. And sometimes trying to stay alive is really um, trying to stay alive and just standing where you are to persevere is the most that we can do sometimes. That's the honest to God truth. Sometimes we can't go very far in our minds, at least. We don't think we're going very far. In our minds, we think we're just standing still and that's the best we can do but truth be told a lot of times we think we're standing still we're getting we're actually getting closer to God in the mental and spiritual way but it doesn't feel like it but anyway um going back to the analogy of being in seawater um some days I might even wake up and find someone working around me who knows how to swim that could help me out you know a pastor, a friend, a brother, a sister, um, a new friend. Um, I want to know what to do for myself. It has nothing to do with being envious of someone else's abilities. I want to understand how to get myself out of this toxic situation because I don't want to be a burden to the people who are doing the heroic work to save the lives of strangers like me. I'd like to have the confidence and skill that I see these other people have. I want to have that confidence and skill so that I can do what they do so that I can be a part of helping someone else feel that same sense of relief that I experienced when my heroes were there to help me out. One of the things that I look forward to going through with my kids is dispelling the myth that mommy and daddy have to always come to their rescue. Time to take out the trash. Mommy or daddy don't need to come to the rescue to remind you every day. If you don't hurry up, you're going to be late for school. 
Mommy and daddy don't need to come to the rescue to remind you of that. You got into trouble for disrupting the class again. Mommy and daddy don't need to come to the rescue to remind you that you need to learn how to ignore those other kids who are talking around you. You know what I'm you got I me. Mean, most parents have gone through this. Mommy, the daddy, the teacher got on me, but it was my friends that were talking. It wasn't really me. The teacher just thought it was me. Mommy and daddy shouldn't have to tell you every year, a couple of times a year, you need to learn how to tune out the noise so that even if the teacher does get it wrong a couple of times, they're going to keep looking in that corner because the other kids are making noise if you tell them the truth. And sooner or later, they're going to realize every time they look up, your mouth is closed. And then they'll realize that they shouldn't get on you. But as long as you giggling and goofing off with them every once in a while, you put yourself in a situation to get blamed. Mommy and daddy shouldn't have to tell you that. You already know. Uh, Why are you on the Internet before you show me your notebook and your completed homework assignments? Mommy and daddy don't need to come to the rescue to remind you of the rules. See, our kids ignore their responsibilities and break their promises and then make fantastic excuses for the same reasons that we used to. And right now I'm talking to the parents, the adults. Sometimes they ignore their responsibilities because something else seems more interesting at the time and it takes less effort and sacrifice for them at that, t- at that moment. So they'd rather do that instead of what you're asking them to do. Sometimes they ignore their responsibilities to us because they feel like they have to take care of something else that's just as important to them. As a parent, I had to accept the fact that they learned that kind of stuff from me. I'm a backup. I'm a backup. I was talking about the different things that that we as parents tell our kids and it seems like we tell them over and over and over and they should know better. They learned some of those things from us. I don't care what you think of yourself. If you sit still and listen to these, uh, if you listen to these words, if you listen to these notes, you might find a little bit of truth in that as it applies to your life. So just sit still. I'll say it again. As a parent, I had to accept the fact that they learned to do some of that from me. All those times that they wanted to show me something or have me spend time with them, but I was too busy. I was too busy with work. I was too busy trying to work out through things with the relationship with a mama. Too busy. I've got to go take care of, uh, put time in to go to this meet or have to do something just for myself or, um, I made a promise that I was going to do this with my friend. Daddy, daddy, look at this. This is funny. Daddy, uh, can I go do this with you? Daddy, can I do that with you? So many times. I would tell them no. And on the one hand, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Just as much. As I feel justified to do those sorts of things. My kids feel justified in, in brushing me off or brushing off what I'm asking them to do. Saying I can do it because I'm grown and they're not. 
sounds like something that a bully would say right before they try to take something from you. Our kids break their promises with us and then make excuses because they don't want to acknowledge their transgressions. They hope that if they can avoid acknowledging their transgression long enough, then you'll give up trying to hold them accountable for it to try to get them to make amends for it. Again, who did they learn that from? They learned that kind of double talk from me, from their mom, from the other adults. How many times a month do they come to me directly and say, hey, daddy, make time for me. And I tell them I can't do it because I have to do this for work. I got to do this for church. I got to do this for my job, for my for my career. I I got my current job, but I got to do this for what I'm reaching for. Or I I, I can't do it right now. Uh, I got to go do this with my friends or no, I need to do this by myself. Uh, Maybe some other time, maybe some other time. I always tell my kids, I'm not saying always, but I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. If you find yourself, if you can be honest with yourself and say, I'll get to you, um, I'll make maybe some other time. If you say that to your kids, like I have, that is the same thing that they that they are doing when they're not doing right. When you have to remind them to do the right thing, they brushing you off. They send in their mind, they're saying, I'll get around to it. Just just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. But since we're grown and we're trying to teach them certain things and it's really important in our minds and in our hearts that they understand it, we forget where they learn that kind of stuff from. They learned it from the things that we do, the way that we talk to them, the way that we carry ourselves, whether we follow through with the promises to to do those things that we put off. You know, every day I tell my kids that I would do anything in the world for them. But then I make it too easy for them to assume that I will make time for everybody else in the world except for them unless I want them to do something for me. Grownups, we have to learn how to be the primary agents of change in our lives if we want our children's children to know what it feels like to wake up every day on safe and dry land. We have to become the environment. Instead of hoping that we can intimidate or connive our ways into a better society. Why are people protesting and fighting in the streets every day? Because promises have been broken. Because people will not acknowledge that their transgressions have consequences. And because nobody feels like they should be forced to make amends on someone else's terms. Now, I'm saying, I said nobody. I'm not talking about just the people that occupy offices that I don't. I'm talking about people like, I'm talking about people that don't hold those offices. None of us feel like we should make amends for the bad things that we have done on somebody else's terms. We demand somebody else change. And maybe if you show me what you're supposed to be doing, what you swore to do or what you say that you do because you're a Christian or you say you you're ought to do this, this is your responsibility 
Don't blame society today if you say it's your responsibility yesterday. We don't want to make amends for our transgressions when we get really, really riled up. Not on somebody else's terms. On my terms, yes, but not on somebody else's terms. Both sides of the blue line. We got to get over that, people. We all have to get over that if we want better. I just ask you all, please just wake up. All of us. Poor people, rich people, politicians, police officers, military individuals, students, all of us are in the same salt water. All of the people that we love are in the water with us. Everybody wakes up bobbing up in seawater every day and trying to get to safety. And the man-eating predators that live in the seawater are always ready to pull us under and devour us. Folks, this is a family podcast. I'm no different than anybody that might be listening. I live in this world. I love people. I love what the opportunities that God has given me. And I'm not perfect. I don't always live, um, keep my promises. I don't. What I want to do, though, is to help, is to do my part in explaining why certain mistakes have happened why certain mistakes might happen in the future and the things that I've learned from my own mistakes as a parent, as a man, as a Christian. So that you can understand that there's probably not very many things that you might secretly be afraid of, afraid to look at that somebody else can't relate to. We have to realize that pride is like salt water. We need water to survive, but not salt water. We all wake up surrounded by it. Surrounded by it. We don't know what's under the surface. We can't see under the water unless we right on top of it. You can't live in salt water everybody's trying to get to that island or trying to get to that boat rich poor you might be in one you might be in some seawater where it's not very many sharks you might be in a seawater that's infested with sharks you don't know you don't know every every day might be different you might you know you might think you live in uh, without those kind of predators and one day somebody, you know, boom, gets snatched. You're like, hey, this shouldn't happen in my neighborhood. This 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 sort of thing doesn't happen to, to people like me. It's because we're all in the same salt water. The enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. He don't care what color you are. He doesn't care what you've sworn to do. He uses pride to make you afraid to be more like God. He may, he uses the salt water around you to conceal his motives and convince you that you're by yourself. The most important thing is to do whatever you can 
to get out of that desperate situation. But God wants us to do it the right way, to do it with his word and with faith in his word and walking in his hands. That's what God wants us to do. We have to do this. We have to do this for ourselves so that we don't go over a cliff and so that the generations to come will be able to learn from the things that we're starting to do now. We have more opportunities than a lot of people did before us. We have a lot more responsibilities individually than a lot of people before us. Are we going to continue to say, I shouldn't have to do that? Or are we going to recognize this salt water that we like to play in and see it for what it is and get ourselves, keep ourselves above the pride and getting out of that water? So that's this is the end of segment one. Um, I, like I said, I hope you get something out of it. I know it might not have come out very clear, as clear as I would have liked, but, um, that's just what, that's what God put on my heart. And it's, and unfortunately you had to hear it through my mouth. So I hope that you got something positive from it. And I know that you're going to get something out of this next segment. Every time we have Z time with my kids, um, I always get the most feedback from Z time. So that's next. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chasing rock, felt in the day when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers died. We have come over a way that with tears have been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. Outweigh our gloomy past till now we stand at last where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining us for Z Time. Today I'm flanked by King and Nubian. And not to be outdone, I have. My son, twin, the full house. Everybody's here today. Welcome to Z time. This is the time where we sit down and have. Sorry, King. Generation Z put in their feedback on something spiritual. I want you guys to uh, answer. I mean, ask questions, answer questions, and then just be able to just share your experience of it. Thank you for joining me today. I'm going to give you, first off, I'm going to tell you to write this down, write down this scripture. Exodus chapter three, verses 14, um, chapter three, verse 14. 
And then I want you to write down Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Okay, you both you got those? Okay, what was the what was the first one? It was Exodus what? What was the king? Exodus what? Chapter thirteen. No fourteen. Twin. Thank you. Chapter three, verse fourteen. Okay. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. King, I would like for you to read it. I just pulled it up on the computer. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 says what? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. All right. Thank you, King. That was Exodus chapter 3. Verse 14. Now, what was the other one I asked you guys to read? Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. All right. Now, King or Newbie, which one do you want to read it? All right, Newbie. Pull it. I got it pulled up on the screen. What does it say? Uh. Do not judge. Why do you, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but fall to notice the beam in your own eye? Thank you. Why do you worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Or why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Okay. So those are the two scriptures, the two verses that I wanted you guys to keep in mind when I ask you this. Uh, when I move on to this next part. Third, can you scoot up just a little bit, twin, so I can see you? I want you to write down the word imperfect. All right. I give a dollar to the first person that spelled imperfect correctly. Which one of y'all... Spell imperfect, twin. I-M-P-E-R-F-E-C-T. All right, that is correct. I will. There you go. Now, I want you to write this word right up under it. Well, I want you to write this right up under I'm perfect. Well, right under imperfect, I want you to write I'm perfect. Okay, now, what's the same and what's different about those two words? What's the same when you look at it? The word perfect in it. They both have the word perfect in it. They both have I'm in it and perfect. They both have I'm in it and perfect. What do you mean by that? I know what you, I know it does, but just spell it out. What does that mean? But it both has, it both has I'm and perfect. What do you mean? They they're glued together. So they're basically 
spelled identically, almost identically, right? Yes. When you see I'm perfect and imperfect, just the letters, the letter sequence is exactly the same. Okay. But what makes the difference between when you look at I'm perfect and imperfect? How do you know what's different? How do you know which is which? Um, I'm perfect just kind of seems like you're being egotistical about yourself. But being imperfect kind of sounds like you're being a little more humble, I guess. Well, I'm saying when you look down at those, when you just look at those letters together, one of them has the apostrophe and one of them doesn't. But when you look at that, how do you know to say imperfect as opposed to I'm perfect? One of the boys. How do you know to say imperfect here and then say I'm perfect for the other one? I simply know how I know because they're not glued together. Because they're not all glued together on imperfect. There's no, you know, there's the apostrophe and then there's no space after the uh, after the M. Okay, now let me ask you guys. King, are you perfect? No. Newbie, are you perfect? Is that even a question? No. Twin, are you perfect? Definitely not. All right. And no, I am not perfect. What was that, newbie? No one is. Correct. None of us are perfect. No person is perfect. Who is perfect? God and Jesus. Who's perfect, newbie? I guess Jesus. Who's perfect, twin? Jesus. Okay. Now, what are some of the reasons that you can understand? What are some of the reasons they make you understand that God is perfect, that Jesus is perfect? How do you know this? He teaches everyone how to be good and to and to make Jesus their personal savior. And he's created a perfect world, a perfect universe, perfect life. And he knows all the physics and how they work. All right. I think that's an excellent answer. Would you guys agree, twins? Would you agree that the God is perfect and he has given us <clears throat> reasons to believe that he's perfect? Um, I agree with them. Twin? Yes. Okay. So, now remember, those, those scriptures that I asked you guys to read were from Exodus and Matthew. Newbie, what was the Matthew one? Um, chapter 7, verse 3. Mm -hmm. And King, the Exodus one was? Chapter 3, verse 14. Okay. Now. Imperfect is what we are as humans, but we were made in the image of God. Just like if you look at the word imperfect and see how it's very similar to I'm perfect. If you look at those words, just look at them. You wrote them. Look at how you the, how similar they look. You can tell. You can tell they both have perfect in them and they both have the same letters. They're very similar when you look at them. There's difference. There's a world of difference because of that little apostrophe and that little space after the M. 
you might think, how did I miss that? It's so obvious, but I don't understand why I did not see that before. The same is true for God always caring for us. God always cares about us. He's always there because he promised me that he will always be there. Now, there may be a speck in my eye that's really irritating, but I can't let that speck separate me from him and his provisions. See, when you see I'm perfect as opposed to imperfect, that little that little apostrophe and that little space after the M makes all the difference. Now, the reason I asked you to write those verses down is because Exodus in Exodus, God is talking to Moses and he was asking, if I go to tell the people this, who should I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them. He said, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Now, look at the word. Look at what you just wrote down. I apostrophe M means I am. And God is perfect. I apostrophe M perfect is I'm perfect. The only the only creation that can say that is God. And in Exodus, he told Moses to tell the people I am sent you. The one true perfect God of the universe told Moses who he was and he is perfect. Just like when you wrote it down on your paper, I apostrophe M. Now, The other verse that I asked you guys to look at was Matthew chapter seven, verse three. And let me see, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit. I wrote some notes down, but I might be jumping the gun. So I guess I'll just go a little over my forget the notes. Um, why does God? Well, no, 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 no. I'm not going to say that. Matthew seven, three is where uh, Jesus said, why do you notice the speck in your brother's eye? But you but you don't notice the beam or the log in your own eye. Okay. Um, Sometimes you might feel like you're all alone or that God doesn't understand what you're going through. You might not understand why you feel as strongly or as badly as you might feel about something or somebody. Understand that is just the speck in your eye trying to separate your sights from him. Just like I'm perfect and imperfect, the same letters run together. You are made in the image of God, but there's a world of difference between us and God. Because that little speck, that apostrophe that looks like a little speck in the eye, a little speck by the eye. And then just a little separation from M, the little separation from him is what makes us imperfect. We are imperfect. We are made in the image of perfection. And there are times when it's hard for us to see him at work in our lives. And there are times where we have to put forth a lot of effort to follow the advice that he's giving us. But that's what we're here to do. 
we're here to live our lives in a way that we get closer to him as opposed to being separated from him. Questions or comments so far? I know we were talking about imperfect and I'm perfect, but um, I've said God is perfect. We all agree with that. And I showed you how imperfect and I'm perfect look very, very similar. If you pay attention, if you just slow down and look at it. But it's a world of difference. Any any questions or comments so far? Please, somebody, because I don't want to feel like I'm just talking. I, I still wonder how this world would be like if we were actually perfect. wonder what this world would be like if we were perfect. That's quite a mystery. How would life be if we were if we were perfect? We wouldn't be God. We would be a reflection of God. We would be a reflection of God. We would be better. We would be perfect reflections of him in a certain way, but it wouldn't make us God. But it would, things would be better. That's why when we do things that he puts on our heart to do, we are walking closer to him. We're doing things in a way that he would have us to do. And that's why we feel the way that we do when we get closer to him. But um, let me read this last part about, you know, the part where Jesus was talking on uh, chapter Matthew, chapter seven, verse three. Um, do you know? Well, who, I just asked, who do you think said those words? And it was Jesus. Jesus was the one that said those words about um, why do you, Notice the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. Um, do you know who Jesus was talking to when he said that? I'm not sure. Was it somebody in one of those verses? It was it was some people from the Bible. Twin, newbie. Do, y do you know who can you imagine who Jesus was probably talking to when he said, keep that, you know, why you notice the speck in your brother's eye and your neighbor's eye, but you don't even pay attention to the log in your eyes. Who do you think he was talking to? Probably one of his disciples. You get a dollar too. Eyes up. Pay attention. No drawing. You're right. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was talking to his disciples. Now we're, were Jesus's disciples bad people? Were they people who weren't around and just beat people upside the head? No, they probably just wanted to see how they can improve themselves. So they listened to God for advice. So disciples weren't bad people. Is that right, King? That is, that is correct. They weren't bad. Disciples weren't people that were going around scheming, scheming on people, trying to get all their money and, and make fools out of them. Is that correct, uh, Twin? Disciples, would you say disciples were the type of people closer to the types of people you would want to be or closer to the types of people that you would not want to be? Probably people who I want to be. Okay. So now Jesus said this. He was talking to his disciples. Do you know that Jesus said this to his disciples after someone among them asked him, 
had the gall to ask him who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Like when they died, who would be the greatest among them in the kingdom of heaven? If you're not real familiar with the Bible, just talking to the audience out there, go back and read just Matthew chapter seven. I mean, what I'm sharing is true. Somebody said, asked Jesus, who was going to be the greatest among them in the kingdom of heaven? Imagine that. These people who love Jesus and literally got to hang out and learn from him every single day still had so much pride in them that they wanted to know who would be the greatest in heaven. As if there will be different tiers of God's love and favoritism for some people as opposed to others when they got to heaven. That is why I say that the speck right after the eye and imperfect makes all the difference in the world. The speck in the eye is pride. If the pride that irritates your vision is causing you to question whether God loves you or not, or causes you to question whether he has the power to deliver you through whatever hard time you're going through, then Jesus says that it's better to pluck that eyeball out. It's sin that separates us from God and God is perfect. What you have to figure out is when your faith is being challenged by the speck in your eye. Sometimes you can push on through it, but you might have to move on without it. You might that means you might have to sacrifice a relationship that used to bring you a lot of happiness, but it's not worth the damage that it's going to do to your faith and your relationship with God. So that's a, uh, you know, imperfect and I'm perfect. I was talking to you guys and was kind of doing, you know, talking a little symbolism and trying to explain how. How God is always with us. He's always with us. If we pay closer attention, he's right there hiding in plain sight. Sometimes when times are rough, he is there. It might not seem like it, but that's because we're not. There are reasons that we can't see him at times. We're not perfect. We can't we get closer to him sometimes by faith. You know, we have to have faith and deeds. But sometimes our faith is shaken by the speck in our eye, by the pain in our hearts, by the trauma that we're trying to come through. So. Does anybody. Does anybody. Uh, Does anybody believe that we have to be perfect to be loved by God? No. No. Do you believe that you can be made in the image of God, whether you're a man or a woman? Um, I guess. Yes. Twin, do you think that imperfect individuals have the ability to do really, really good things in life and to help other people even when they're not trying to? Yes. Somebody tell me one thing that stands out to about this segment and I'll let y'all go because the enthusiasm is just bubbling over in here. I know that I smell like sweat and y'all probably want to get away from me, but um, what are you guys, what are you going to take away from this conversation? That it doesn't matter if you're perfect or not, that God will still love you. 
King was nodding his head. That and keep God in first in most things. Okay. Twin, you got something? What's going to stand out about this conversation? Basically what newbie said that despite everyone being imperfect, God is still going to love you. All right. Well, thanks, Z-Time. I appreciate your time. Thanks for answering those questions, honestly. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Last, uh, The last segment, when we come back, it'll be myself and Velvet bringing it home. Welcome back to the third and final segment of today's podcast. Uh, this segment will be a collaboration. We're going to talk about joy. Uh, remember, this podcast is based off of the nine fruits of the spirit, uh, which are love, peace, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, this is a collaboration because I wanted to go through and discuss each of the nine fruits of the spirit and just, just kind of talk about what they mean to us. And today is going to be me and my beautiful wife to my right, who goes by the name of Velvet. Velvet. <laughs> All right, Velvet. Today we're going to talk, <clears throat> today's going to be joy. Um, my father and I, we've done love and we've done peace. And he came from the perspective of, you know, being a minister and or an assistant a minister and um, coming from a scripture background, um, his Bob, uh, you know, being more of a biblical scholar than either one of us. And you and I <clears throat> have a lot of the same kind of life experiences. Of course, we just have a lot of see a lot of things the same way. That's part of why we got married. But um, we are still different in some ways. So I think that having this perspective uh, of a father and having the perspective of a mother is a good way to look at this concept of joy. So uh, I want to, when I knew that we were going to talk about joy, I had sent a text to you earlier in the week and I just read the text. And then after I read the text, I ask you, uh, you know, to compare and contrast joy or happiness. But that's what I'm thinking about doing. I'm going to hand you a microphone and ask you, what would you like to say? Do you want to talk about joy or happiness first? Or you want me to read this text message? Um, what do you want? You can go ahead and read the text message. Okay. Okay. Well, this is the text that I sent to my beautiful wife on Sunday. And it says, when you have joy, you have a lot. Victory is the experience of joy having you. I've wondered at times about the distinctions between joy and happiness. Maybe happiness is knowing that you have what you want and joy is having him explain it to me. So for me, it's kind of like happiness is like you go after something you like. If I had more of this, then I would be satisfied. Or if I had more of these things, then I would not be as concerned. But joy is when you realize it's not what I'm going after that's really going to get me through this. It's who I believe in and how much I believe in him. 
and how much I can trust what he says in his word. And for me, it seems like the more I'm able to think about and trust his word, the more I'm able to give over to him, you know, more fully. That's where the joy starts to come, become more obvious in my life. Helps me to appreciate the wonderful opportunities that are in my life and the wonderful people and the things that we do. Um, that's joy. Happiness is, a, you know, kind of like a description of the little snapshots here and there. But I think joy is the totality of it. So uh, do you when you think of happiness, what comes to mind? I would say um, when I think about happiness, I think a short term and I think of um, something that, you know, makes you happy for a time for a short time and then depending on the outcome of the situation that can be gone so just something very short time so something uh like you know i'm eating my favorite dessert or if my favorite program comes on tv or anything you can think about yourself that you like or maybe being around certain people you know you'll be happy in that moment but those things don't last always so that's for me is what I think about happiness makes me feel more emotional. You know, it's like an emotional tie for me on how I'm feeling emotionally. I can be happy or I can be sad. Um, so that's kind of how I look at happiness. And then compare that to joy. What's the, what does joy seem like in comparison to happiness? My interpretation of joy is, I always think about peace and I think joy of a long term. I think it lasts longer and no matter what your situation, joy can still remain. So no matter what chaos is going on around you, you can still have joy in your heart. And when I am doing what I need to do to stay closer to God, I can have joy and things can be tough that's going on around me. I can be struggling within myself or with others around me and I can still have joy. So that's how I look at it is long-term. And I think about peace and I just think about God and how he loves me for who I am, no matter what I do or what I say, you know, he's there for me. So he's, he's constant, he's consistent um, and he's unconditional. So those things I think about when I think of joy, and all I need to do is just, you know, go to him. He could force us to do things, but he prefers that we come to him. And so that's what I think of when I think of joy, being still, peace. Um, and just knowing that no matter what, he's with us. No matter what, whether we're paying attention to him or not, he's always there. And that just saying those words and reflecting on that, it gives me a joy that happiness can't touch because happiness is my emotions on how I'm feeling at the time. But joy is all the time. You know, another thing that I think about, and this is something that you and I both we have in common for the same reasons, and we might experience joy in different ways 
But having those kids in our lives every day and knowing that they have their own strong, independent will um, and they trust us for a number of things. Would you agree that that's joy? I, I do. I, I think it's, that is joy, but I also think it depends on the person and what their interpretation of it, because somebody else may not think that about their kids or, you know, they may be going through a different struggle with their kids. So they may not be able to be in that space. But I do think that it makes me think about being thankful. So definitely you be thankful for your children. Sometimes in the morning I smile and I hear those birds chirping before I get up and even just listening to the birds or just being thankful that I can get out of the bed on my own, that I'm breathing on my own, that I have a job to go to. It's like when you reflect, you can really think about a lot of things that you're grateful for or how God is looking out for you times when sometimes we know it, sometimes we ignore it, and sometimes we don't know anything about it, that he's prevented something that we had no idea that was coming near us. So I definitely think that, you know, our children, for us specifically, um, does bring us joy because um, they're just amazing people. And we know that it had nothing to do with us. We know that it was all God using us, allowing us to be in their lives. All right. Um before we close, just one last little part. Um, I was thinking it's possible to have joy without being happy. I think it's possible to be happy without having joy. Um, I think of so many times where people might have a number, they might have power, they might have influence, they might have material possessions. And for somebody that doesn't have power, so for somebody that doesn't have material possessions, um, they might think to themselves, how could that, how could somebody that has all of that ever be unhappy or not have, uh, you know, not have it all? But people that might have nice things on the surface might be happy, but they might not have joy. And then at the same time, a person could be going through a very, very hard time. Um, dealing with the loss of a loved one is the hardest, you know, thing, one of the hardest things that I can think of. Um, or being going for a goal, giving your best shot and realizing that your best isn't good enough for this particular goal. I know all about that. Um, but still having joy, the happiness is gone. You know, the happiness when you when failure comes into your life, when death comes into your life, you might not be happy. You can say, I'm glad that at least I gave it my best shot. Or I can say, I know that this person is in a better place, but I also know that I can't have what it is that I want. But I have the joy of knowing that I'm not going through it alone. I have the joy of, you know, knowing that giving my best means that I'm okay if I don't always get what I want because there's somebody that is advocating for me all the time. Somebody that's protecting me and giving me more than I deserve all of the time. So I just thought it would be important to 
have a conversation about joy and happiness. I don't think that they're um, exact, exactly opposite of each other, but I just think that sometimes people use those two words interchangeably, but there are some subtle differences. So I thought it would be good to have a conversation about it. Uh, so you got some any closing thoughts on, on joy and happiness? The closing thought I would say is I do feel like that you can have joy and still have all the range of emotions um, that we would normally have. So I can have joy and I can be really sad at the same time. So I just wanted to point that out as well, that we are human and we do have emotions. But I feel like when I have joy, it always brings me back. You know, it always I can come back and be centered because I have the joy versus being so far out there on an on an uh, emotional uh, way that, you know, I'm not able to tap into it. And I also feel like joy is spiritual. I don't feel like you can have joy without um, being connected to God. And of course, that's just my opinion on how I feel. But it's just that the power that he has, there's not anything out here that has that kind of power. I mean, he's our creator. So for me, I feel like that is my joy versus being happy or excited or any other uh, things that I could mention. So just keep that in mind. God is the great I am. He's the only one that can be perfect and living at the same time. Um, And I agree. I don't see joy unless you have a relationship with God. So that concludes today's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I am BH signing off with my beautiful wife, Velvet. (laughs) I'm going to mess with her when I turn this microphone off. But we, um, to everybody out there, I hope you have a great weekend. Hope you had a great Juneteenth. And all fathers out there tomorrow, um, hope you all enjoy your your lives, enjoy your people, the people in your lives. And, um, and remember that you got, uh, you know, you got somebody that's already there waiting for you. So give it over to him, give him some credit. And the more you give to him, the, the more you realize you have by giving to him. So remember wealth is to be spent, but treasures to be shared. God bless you. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, Thou who has brought us thus far on the way, Thou who has by Thy might led us into the light, Keep us forever in the path we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadow beneath thy hand, may we forever stand. True to our God, true to our native land.